I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're mission-based media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com. Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia-Pacific Edition, your go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. Indonesia is the world's largest archipelago, both by size and by total number of islands. To put this in context, the country has over 17,000 islands, and the distance between the furthest points from east to west requires traveling a greater distance than a coast-to-coast flight in the U.S. or Australia. With the passage of universal healthcare in 2014, it is also a country in the early stages of improving healthcare outcomes. But there's a lot of room for growth, as Indonesia currently spends only 3% of its GDP on healthcare, as compared to 5% in China and 17% in the U.S. To better understand the nature of healthcare in Indonesia, I'm joined by Jonathan Sudharta, the co-founder and CEO of HelloDoc. Since 2016, he's building a path to help tens of millions of people in Indonesia receive better medical care in a country with these and many other unique challenges. Let's get started. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tony. It's an honor. Oh, it's my pleasure. You've been an incredible inspiration for other entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia. Let's start with some background on you and Indonesia. What was life like for the average person before HelloDoc existed? Let me paint you the default challenge of this country. We only have three doctors out of 10,000 population, which if we compare to countries like Singapore, they have 30 doctors out of 10,000 population. So we're small, but we have 17,000 island and we have 74,000 villages. Can you imagine we only have a thousand cardiologists in the whole country. And we're talking everyone would have an issue with their heart at one point in time. So each of these cardiologists have to take care of 240,000 patients, which is physically is probably impossible, but that's the reality that we have. So that's the geographical challenge. In big cities like Jakarta, you have everything. You have doctors, you have medicines. And what you have is a lot of traffic and unnecessary waiting time It's an urban challenge compared to the rural challenge that I mentioned. So both have its own challenge. Now, as Indonesian, because I started my career as a medical rep, I have to wait for doctors until two o'clock in the morning to speak to them because they are super populated and stuff. So I get to know this firsthand. It's not like somebody else talk about it. It's because I'm part of the ecosystem. I see from way a patient get care into patient get the medicine including the payment, it's just broken because of the default challenge of this country. So that's where we are before. That's why we bring a service like Aladoc in which today, at least we are being part of the solution that create the quality of healthcare access in Indonesia today. And if we think about the broader demographics, it's a relatively young population. They think the median age is around 30 years old. And I remember when I was in my 20s and 30s, I didn't think about my healthcare, right? You'd think you're kind of invincible to the world. And you also have that dynamic where people may not think about the importance of healthcare until it's too late. 
And so now it's like the split of young people who may not be thinking about it and old people who have very, very hard access challenges. Exactly. In terms of, let's go to the two environments. So let's start with the island and the island nature and the archipelago nature of Indonesia, right? So there's about 6,000 islands which have people on them out of about 17,000. What's the life of a person who typically lives on an island? Like what's the size of the village roughly, or like what medical care could they expect within the proximity of a few kilometers of home versus having to leave the island to go get care? There's the both of the extremes, right? There are extremes in Indonesia where for patient to get the first point of care, it takes them close to three days just to get the first point of contact of healthcare. So because it's very rural and you cannot imagine how the landscape, like the bridges, you have to almost swim in order for you to move to the other parts of the island in order for you to get that. That's one extreme of what we have in Indonesia. In many locations, it's not that extreme, but it would be a big challenge for them to meet even a doctor. That's why there's more midwives in Indonesia than probably doctors in terms of numbers. And a lot of these midwives actually become the closest they can get into medical care. So the midwives in Indonesia is not just helping people for delivering babies, but they become the GPs, the specialists for everyone as well. So to specifically talk about proximity, because Indonesia is such a big country, we cannot generalize. That's my point. But I can give you just now a bit of few extremes on few areas. In cities like Jakarta, you would have doctors in probably every, I don't know, five kilometers, six kilometers or something like that. So in big cities, it's a totally different challenge with the rural area. Now, if we were speaking to other Indonesians about Jakarta, my next question would be obvious to them. But not everybody knows about the challenges of traffic in this city where it can take a huge amount of time to travel a few kilometers. So if you have an emergency, you live in Jakarta and you need to get care, can you describe the experience to someone who's not familiar with Jakarta traffic? Well, for those who, I mean, we're talking about before COVID, yeah, because during COVID, the world is a different place and challenge is different. Before COVID, if you want to have a healthcare service in Jakarta, it takes you four hours in total just for you to get paracetamol from a doctor, I would say. Because it takes you two hours just from your one and a half hour, at least from your place to hospital or your family doctor. You wait for another an hour and a half and then you have to go to a pharmacy and then you go home. So it's a bit more than four hours, actually. It can be five hours just for that simple service. All right. So your neighborhood run is not really a neighborhood run. Not really. We'll come back to the impact of COVID in a little bit. In urban environments, there's huge amounts of traffic. If you're in an island, then you've got distance to cover. And so this creates a, a backdrop for what can various stakeholders, including government, do to try to help the average individual receive better care. There's been, in 2014, I think it was, there's universal health care got introduced into Indonesia. What was the impact of that on a realistic level, right? So there's always the promise of universal health care, but what did it actually physically change? I think as an Indonesian, I'm very proud to see how they roll out, to be very honest, with this Indonesian healthcare, universal healthcare coverage in Indonesia. Because today, I think my statistic can be wrong with the latest number. Today, I think we are close to 180 million people are now covered by the government. Obviously, when I say it's covered, it does not mean that everyone in Indonesia will use it. 
because of the quality of service that they want. Maybe some of the, the higher end people would say, oh, I can afford a better healthcare than, than what the government offer. But many Indonesians for the first time five years ago are actually getting treatment from doctors, getting treatment from hospitals because of this. So to your question, what do I think? I think I'm proud to say that Indonesia have done well, I think in rolling this out to compare with a, a lot more mature country like UK or US, I think we're still a distant away. But to say the least, I think the government have done wonders to help many of those who never had a proper healthcare, now a proper healthcare. Yeah. And that's a huge jump start to be able to get people to build trust in the medical system and trust in the health system. Because if you've never really been able to afford getting care, then you may just rely on things that were passed down from generation to generation on how you treat things versus knowing that there's actually better ways to get good outcomes. So, well, kudos to how the UHC coverage has become a source of pride. I think there's still a lot of countries who don't have anything resembling that. So it's nice to see how this progresses. So now we've talked about the access challenges and now we've talked about how UHC creates an affordability path for a large number of Indonesians. So 180 million Big chunk of the population, total population of Indonesia is about 270 million. So there's a ways to go, but it's children in that number as well. So uh, we'll hopefully get to the full 100% in the near-term future. Tell us about outcomes. How are health outcomes in Indonesia overall? Uh, and we don't need to get into specific like outcome A versus outcome B, but just broadly speaking, in your view and how you view how people are taken care of, are they getting acceptable care right now in their outcomes or could that see improvements as well? I think the best measure of healthcare system is COVID, to be very honest. Yeah, I agree. It's put everything in the spotlight of what works and what doesn't. Yeah. So during this period of COVID, I think every country has been tested, right? Obviously, the first spike of everything, whether it happened in Indonesia, India, U.S. and other parts of the world, China, the first few months collapse happened because you, you didn't expect an influx of what 10x patient go to hospital or clinics or whatnot. Medicine was not ready and so on. So at that time, the whole world was condemning each country, whether they condemn cities, uh, countries in, in Europe or Indonesia or other parts. But today, fast forward now it's a year or so. I think we have to acknowledge how the government have positively react working together with different means, private sectors, different parts of government stakeholders. In Indonesia, there's a word, it's called gotong royong. Gotong royong is holding hands together to do things together. That's like an Indonesian saying. And I really feel that during this period, Indonesia is actually exemplifying the real means of gotong royong during this COVID period. When we start, people were trying to get PCR tests and you need to wait for like three days to get PCR tests and another three days for the results and everything. Today, if you take a look at the country, you basically can easily get tests, whether it's drive through or even coming to your office anywhere in the whole country, yeah? And you get the result within a day, whether you want to pay or not. If you don't want to pay, the government actually provide you. That happens because I think the country is doing that. The Ministry of Health is inviting 
private sector like us, the Ministry of Health is working with different kind of minister, all of which they are working together of this. So to answer your question about outcome, we can always argue about outcome on different sector of healthcare. But at the moment, we have to respect and appreciate how things have become appreciating what we need to appreciate, in my opinion. So I think with all the challenge that we have as a country, geographical and everything, I would say it's a respectable work that this country have done, in my opinion. That's wonderful to hear. And in other words, it's like when you stress test something, that's when you know something is really working or not. And I think I can speak for our audience in admiring the selflessness and giving nature of the Gotong Rayong philosophy. Thanks for introducing us to the concept, and I hope we see it adopted by others around the world. Now let's shift gears to talk about your company, HelloDoc. Can you tell our audience about your business? So we started back in 2016. I'm grateful that we had the chance, together with the government, to build HelloDoc four years before COVID comes. So what did we build? We built telemedicine services. So patients in the whole country basically can talk to a specialist, doctors and everything through their phone. So they just need to choose a doctor. And within 15 seconds, one five, they can speak to one of our 20,000 doctors that is connected. They can get the medicine sent to them within 30 minutes. In 2018, uh, we grew the service, not just telemedicine, but we work and partner with over 2,000 hospitals in Indonesia. So we create appointment management and whatnot. When COVID comes, we focus a lot of the service that we do for COVID. So we help a lot of patients to stay at home to help the government of not overflowing hospitals and everything using the telemedicine service. But we also provide different kinds of services with COVID tests, COVID vaccination and everything over drive-through. So in the last 23 days, we have opened seven drive-through locations for vaccination. We already have 50, approximately 50 drive-through location for PCR tests, the COVID tests in the whole country. So there's an addition to this. So the great thing is not just us, it's a collaboration between us and the government in which I feel very proud that we have a very progressive nation in that context. By focusing your business on COVID, we've heard from multiple examples how telemedicine has really benefited in growth from COVID because people have been forced to use it by being at home. How else has COVID affected your business? Obviously, you've directed your product and services towards helping people with that challenge and telemedicine has grown. Has there been any other impacts that you view are sustained impacts towards your overall business? Yeah, of course, the short-term impact would be growth. That's a short-term impact. Compared to three years ago, I think we grew like 25 times or so. Um, so obviously that's a huge jump. But I think the biggest impact would be the change of people's perception. Perception comes from the stakeholders of providers, like all the doctors, all the pharmacists, all the hospitals are looking at telehealth players like us as a partner. Because when we start, a lot of them were not looking at us as a partner. A lot of them were thinking, are you going to destroy our business? Are you a disruptor? But they realize now during this period, we are actually a good partner. So this is something that is very important. Many of the government officials have already, I mean, from day one, they have been supportive, but maybe some documents were not out. The legitimacy was just not documented or whatnot. But during this period, 
they just do it like very fast. So it's definitely a big impact for the new normal. And the last, but the most important would be patient. A lot of patient during the period of COVID is being extremely educated to basically use the service of digital health. And just like one of my favorite story, which is my uncle, for the last five years, I have a company called Halodoc. He has no idea what I'm doing, actually. During the period of COVID, after two weeks of announcement of COVID, he called me and said, John, I've been using your service already two times this week. He's 70 years old, yeah? Uh, I talked to a skin specialist. I talked to uh, orthopedics and I got the medicine sent to me. So it's for me, this will have a lasting impact because it's like an aha moment for them, right? It does not mean that we're going to disfranchise the hospital business, but I think we're going to enable a lot more convenience service for the future. I think that's the way we look at it. Yeah, and if you can become now a de facto component of an individual's mindset so that they know where you fit in, that's a huge change because you no longer need to change and convince someone to define a new behavior. You're part of the regular behaviors. And I, as a broader digital health comment, that's really one of the biggest hurdles is how do you insert yourself into the journey for overall health in a way that you're not an afterthought or you're trying to muscle your way in if you're now part of it as the norm, that's a huge leap forward. And great to hear that that's what's been happening for you as a business in Indonesia. And more importantly, I know you're a huge advocate of thinking about things from the patient perspective, individual perspective. I'm glad that you're making a difference in so many people's lives. That's great to see. So you've also recently raised a new round of funding. And you know, tell us, what does the future hold? Which challenges will you continue to tackle or are there new ones on the horizon that you view are now the bigger things that need to be addressed? We're very honored to have trust of this new round of investors, Astra, Temasek, Novo Holdings, um, Accru Capital to give the trust in Halodoc. So this new round of fund, we always have one mantra in which we say we don't fall in love with solution, we fall in love with patient pain. Because only by really falling in love with problem that you try to solve the real problem. It's very difficult to actually to keep that mantra. So to answer your question, we realize that Indonesia as a country has a multiple different big challenges of healthcare equality, healthcare access. So that's where we are gunning for. So the new round of funding is really to focus on solving each of this healthcare pain within the country. And I think that's where our vision is aligned between our current partner investor, the leadership, and the new investor that is coming. All of them has this one alignment of interest of healthcare access. Amazing. I look forward to continuing to track the progress of what you build as a business and how you change people's lives. Well, we've come up on time on our podcast, so I really appreciate on behalf of our audience, you taking the time to share your story and explain to us what are some of the big challenges in Indonesia that need to be solved in your role in it. So wish you the best. Thank you again. We'll put a link to your profile and to the company in the show notes for this, but really appreciate your time, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. And that's a wrap on this episode. Before I go, here's how you, our audience, can support us. Please share this podcast with others. And if you follow or subscribe, you'll get updates on new episodes and other content. You can also email me at apac at digitalhealthtoday.com if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas for future episodes. Through my website, 
www.toniestrella.com. You can learn more about my fiction writing and my other healthcare work, including my white papers and other podcasts. You can also look for me on Clubhouse, Twitter, WeChat, and LinkedIn. And finally, please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com to hear other episodes from our podcasting team and my earlier episodes, including season one. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and produced along with mission-based media. The sound and music was by Ivan Yurich. And until next time, I'm Tony Estrella, and thank you for listening. Hey, Dan Kendall here. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com. That's digitalhealthtoday.com.